open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be uh, just a couple verses, verse 35 to 38. Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. First Peter tells us that we are supposed to remember, put things in remembrance. And today is kind of a thing, a day of, of, of remembering. We're going to be, re- a little bit later, we're going to remember the great sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ gave, that God provided for us a, a means of salvation. And we're going to celebrate um, the, the, the blood and the body of Christ and remembering him through communion, one of the ordinances to the local church. And, and this morning, as I, as I come to you, I have to constantly remind myself that to be a follower of Christ, I must be like Jesus. Too often, um, some of our traditions and some of our uh, opinions and, and, and things, not, not necessarily bad things, but it sometimes gets us off track and we, and we don't really... Uh, we miss what it means to be Jesus. So this morning, in these next few minutes, as we, we go through this, uh, this scripture, we're going to try to break this down quite a bit. We want to we look, and we want to put aside any hypocrisy that may be in our lives, and we start trying to look at life through the eyes of Jesus Christ. This passage says um, that he was moved with compassion. This is early in Jesus' ministry, he has been going around healing. He has been healing the blind, cleansing the lepers. He has been doing, raising the dead. He has been doing incredible miracles, and people are by the multitude are following him and following him. And he's just had a, a, a great ministry, casting out demons, and amazing things are happening. He's almost ready to send out his, uh, his uh, disciples and apostles to start doing the work of spreading the news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And as he's looking out, he sees the multitudes, he sees the people, and it says he was moved with compassion. Now, <clears throat> let me try to explain what this compassion means. It, sometimes it, we kind of lose the, uh, we lose some of the, the, uh, the power of, uh, of words when they're translated from, from Greek into English. And this is that, that feeling you have with, that you're almost hurting on the inside when you see something. You, you know, that they, they, we see advertisements on TV all the time for you know, the, the abused animals and poor little kids that are starving all over the world. And, and you kind of get that feeling in your stomach, I just want to do something about that. This is even more intense. The definition is, is to be moved as to one's bowels, to be moved with compassion or to have the compassion. And, and, and at this time, the bowels, the insides were thought to be the, the, the seed of the love and, and pity. It, it's almost, it's a suffering with another painful sympathy. 
It's that sensation of sorrow that, that gets excited by the distress and misfortunes of others. It's pity. Compassion is kind of a mixed passion. It's compounded of love and sorrow. At least some portion of love generally attends the pain of regret or, or is excited by it. Extreme distress of, of an enemy, enemy even changes enmity into at least temporary affection. It's looking on someone and just... <sighs> I watch my daughter. She's Right now she's going through a bout of diverticulitis and um, every day we ask her, how are you doing today? Well, the pain's not any worse than it was yesterday, which means it's not bad enough she has to go to the hospital. She's right on that edge all the time. And the pain meds just kind of ease it and helps things be tolerable. Her world's in, in about a 10-foot circle from her chair to the bathroom. And when she's feeling really energetic, she watches, walks to the other side of the apartment, that's about 15 uh, steps, and sits down and, and watches Jeopardy with her mom while I play on my phone. But I watch her, and I hurt for her. You know, if you have children, you've watched them through different things of life, and it hurts you to watch the, the things that are happening. And Jesus is looking out on the multitudes of people, and it's breaking his heart. It's tearing him up inside, and he's having compassion on these multitudes. If we are going to be like Jesus Christ, if we are going to be real followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to develop compassion. Let me give you a few reasons why we ought to do that. This will be the first blank for you, by the way. I want you to notice the state of the multitudes. Look at verse 35, 36. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is all happening in the northern Galilee, all along the Sea of Galilee. It's a huge lake, and all around that northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he's healing everyone, and he's having he's every sickness, every disease. And then verse 36, and we saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. You see, to start with, the multitudes are ignorant of the gospel. He was preaching the gospel. Verse 35, and Jesus went about cities, teaching their synagogues, and what? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Let me give you some statistics. These are a little bit old. These are about three, four years old maybe. But I want you to listen to this. Ages 14 to 35. Population. This is the United States. It's a population of approximately 80 million people. 96% or 77 million people do not know Christ as their Savior. They're lost. They're on their way to hell. Age 36 to 45, there's a population of 52 million. 85% of that group, or 44 million people, are lost. Age 46 to 64, 78 million people. That's my generation. 65% or 51 million people are lost. 
age 65 and up, 43 million of, of those. 35% or 15 million are lost. Here's, here it is. A population of 253 million in the United States, 74% of our population, or 187 million people, are lost. And that doesn't even count the 56 million people between ages 1 and 13 who are now 5 to 18 years old. Can you see the need? The multitudes that are ignorant of the gospel, that's in the United States. And the gospel's preached in every sort of way here. We got it on TV, we have it on radio, we have books, we have it. It's all over the place, yet we have... 74% of our population who are lost and whose eternity is unsure. What happens when you add in the rest of the world? Then you see what Jesus did. You find that the multitudes need to hear and to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. such a need. Have we ever look on that? Look at those people. As you go out, I used to tell this to the, the church I pastored in Lake Mary. Across from our church, we had a, a walking uh, trail. A bike and walking trail, and horses would go down there too, and, and uh, you'd see people on Sunday mornings going up and down that walking trail. It was a very upscale neighborhood, and not a lot of them went to church, and, and uh, I would stand out in the morning greeting people, and I'd see all those people going back and forth. And it'd break my heart knowing that they're on their way to a, an eternity without Christ. Look around you. When you look at those young people that, that, that irritate and aggravate you because they don't understand and don't do the things that, you, you th that they ought to do. One, blame their parents, not them. They don't know any better. And then maybe just back up one more step and say, they're on their way to a Christless eternity. That should bother us. It should, it should hurt us to know that so many are, are, are leaving. But secondly, the multitudes are despondent and fainting. Matthew 9.36 says, He had compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They were coming loose. They were dissolving. They had no one, they, they, they had no strength. They were exhausted. They were growing weak and weary. They were tired out. They were becoming faint-hearted and they were scattered. They had no direction. When Jesus looked on this multitude, he saw that they were tired. He saw that they were exhausted and that they were weak. You know, they're not only under the burden of a daily life, but they were under bondage to a, a, a religious system that, that put so many rules and so many regulations that it was impossible to keep. And they were always in this state of, what do I do? Look at our world today. Man, younger families, I feel, feel bad for them. I thought I had it bad when I was raising my kids. We live in a time where moms and dads both have to work to make it. it, it it's just, it, that's true. They have to work to make it. 
unless they have one person who has a really, really good job. But the way our economy is, the way our, our world is today, we have two people, they ha they're having to work all the time. And they feel guilty because they're not spending time with their kids, so they get their kids involved in all sorts of activities. Oh, sports, dance, this, that, and the other, to try to assuage some of that guilt. So they're running here, they work all day, then they run their kids over here, then they run their kids over here. Uh, Saturday comes along and it's supposed to be their day off. They spend all day fixing around their houses, buying groceries, doing all the stuff. That could, and then Sunday comes along and we want to be in church all day. Excuse me. And they're wore out. And when do they have time for their family? When do they have time to build those relationships with their children? When do they have time to sit down at a, a table? They're running everywhere. It's funny. You folks who are retired. You know what I hear from y'all all the time? We're just so busy. We've got so much going on. We've got to go here. We've got to go there. And you are. I talk to my mom. Hey, why don't you come do something? You know, I'm just so busy. I've got so much going on. Okay? <laughs> I guess all that's kind of relative, you know? We are busy. We're going to and fro, this and that way. It, 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 we're everywhere. And then you throw on the... Uh, the, the how we look at things sometimes from our, from our uh, religious perspective. Sometimes we put demands on people that just are unreasonable and impossible. Probably Jesus never did put demands on people that were unreasonable and impossible. He never did that. If he did, we would never have an opportunity for salvation. You ever think about that? Here's a challenge. Maybe we should take a little bit of time to observe those who are around us. Or even better, try to get to know them. That's my wife. This time of year is very difficult for her where she works. Y'all know that she's a bank. She works at a bank. Y'all know that banking has changed drastically in the last several years. Do you know that all banks, just they don't hire enough people to, to take care of the crowd? And in, and in this case... We have such a crowd swelling in the, uh, the wintertime. And so they're in there, and they're all her and one other teller. There's only two tellers in her branch. They'll have 100, over 100 transactions a day. And if, if any of you ever worked as a teller in a bank, you know 100 transactions is a lot. And there'll be, there'll be people in line, and everybody's mad at them because there's so much. It's not their fault. They're going as fast as they can. They're understaffed, and their company is not going to staff them. You know what they're saying? Well, you know, um, when that generation's gone, everybody else is going to do all their banking online. True, they're just going to eliminate people completely. In fact, there's a couple banks that have done that. But next time you're in line at the bank or at Walmart and you're mad, maybe look around, see what they're going through. Maybe try to look at them through the eyes of Christ. You may be amazed to find out how much trouble people are really in. Rich, poor, old, young, everyone is suffering. They're, they're, they're coming apart at the seams. Another stat. I like, stat, I like statistics. One in four adults, 18 and up, will suffer from some sort of mental disorder during the next year. That's 57.7% of our nation. Or I'm sorry, 57.7 million in the U.S. 
they're going to battle depression or bipolar or anxiety or panic or OCD, PTSD, eating disorder. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And many of these people can be helped, even cured, through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the freedom that he gives us. You see, we have to look and notice that people all around us are hurting. The sad thing is we look at people we don't realize they're hurting. We look at them and everything looks fine from the outside. Again, I think of my daughter. You look at Gretchen, everything looks fine from the outside until you maybe picked up the back of her shirt and saw the two big scars where they took out portions of her lung when she was younger. And you realize that she's in constant pain from an immune deficiency that's caused pulmonary problems and, and um, uh, arthritis and everything else. And then you add the diverticulitis. She looks fine from the outside, but she's in incredible pain all the time. Right now, she's in debilitating pain. But she looks great from the outside. Some of you might have saw her friends on Facebook. She got bored and did a, uh, posted a, a video, and she sang, and she looks fine, but she's not. And I want to say, look around you. The people sitting right next to you may not be fine, even though they look like it. The last thing here, third thing, about this multitude, they're scattered and they have no direction. Scattered and have no direction. It says they were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Now, we learn all through all the time you study sheep and shepherds and everything else that sheep aren't the most intelligent animals. They tend to wander off. They tend to get lost. Um, they, they, they can be stubborn. They don't want to follow the shepherd at times. and They, they just kind of go everywhere. And here we are being called sheep. couple thoughts within that. They have no goals. They have no goal. They have no purpose. One of the things, and you all know that I work a lot with younger people, uh, from elementary school and to high school and, and everything else, and you know, they're looking for some purpose. You know what? Everybody is looking for some sort of purpose. So what are happening today? They're attaching themselves to all sorts of things. We got a, a, a group of young people who are attaching themselves to the purpose of uh, political left. We have people atta uh, attaching to the political right. We have people attaching to, to the environment. They, they're always looking for something to do to have some purpose, some sort of goal, but they're never satisfied. And they have no one to guide them. Boy, are we ever living in a time of a lack of leadership? Who's going to guide these people who are walking or running around to and for, scattered everywhere looking for some sort of purpose? Jesus looks at this multitude and he is moved with compassion. So if we're going to follow, be a follower of Christ, we too must develop compassion. Let me quickly give you a few little things that may help you with that. Number one, we need to view the awaiting harvest. Look at verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, 
but the laborers are few. Let me me tell you what that means. We can't be looking at ourselves and our circumstances. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and onto the multitude, onto others. And, And that can start right here in our church. Romans uh, chapter 12, one of the greatest passages in the Bible, one of the greatest chapters, says this. It says, let love be without dissimulation. Adhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. James 2.15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them uh, not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? You see, we can start taking our eyes off ourselves and focusing on those around us right in this room, right in our church family. There are needs all around that you can never imagine. You just can't know what's going on when the person sitting next to you funny. I'm I'm willing to guess that most of you don't know any more than 10 people, 10 to 12 people in in the church. That seems to be about the average. You may know a few more by faces, but if I said a name, you'd go, now who is that? Maybe you should, listen, that's, that's about all most people can handle is 10 people at a time. 10 to 12 people at a time. Notice Christ had 12 disciples. There, 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 there's some numbers, things going there. We can, that, we can really handle that real well, intimately. But maybe those 10 to 12 people that you know, you may need to become a little more intimate. Look upon their needs. Focus on them. Just, just a real sideline. When you're focused on somebody else, you don't have time to worry about yourself. And, and your problems seem to get smaller. We shift the focus off ourselves and we shift our focus to the multitude. Acts 17, 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. We need to quit focusing on ourselves and look to the lost, to the suffering, to the multitudes all around us and believe Jesus when he tells us that there are many ready to receive his gospel. They're there. And you just have to look to them. We have to go to them. Number two, we need to ask God to give us more laborers for the harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Got some great promises in scripture. John 14, 13 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, and willing that any should, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How are you praying? 
How are you praying? Ask God to give us more labors. Let me tell you something. We need help. Tuesday, I have to go to St. Augustine. I'm part of Terry Jackman's funeral. I'm getting, getting to speak to some there. Um, Gretchen's down. We've had a couple people not be able to be part of our Good News Club, and we have 30 kids that each week depend on us to get the gospel and to train them and, and, and disciple them in a public elementary school. Pretty good honor. I've called in some extra help from outside of our church, but you know what? We should have people already all, all ready to do some things. On Thursdays, I don't blame people for this one, do a middle school ministry, Port Charlotte Middle School. 60 to 80 kids, middle schoolers. I shudder every time I think about it. Man, we need some help there. I need, a, I need some girls. We are, we are doing, we are in, again, a public school giving out the gospel to a multitude of children who desperately, desperately need it. Monday nights, <laughs> poor Anna, I'm with her husband as much as she is, I think, working with uh, Young Life. You'll get to meet Tom in a, in a couple weeks when he comes and, and speaks during our mission month. Hundreds of kids all around. You know, there's people all, even here. Some of you may not know, I have a wife. Um, you probably never see her unless you go to a woman's activity or if you go to uh, um, uh, in the kids' area. Because she handles children's church for two hours every Sunday. Now, she's getting some help now. I really appreciate you doing that. We have, we have places for people to work. We have a children's church going on right now. We'll have one in our next service. There's some places you want to... We have... I need some help with teenagers. We've got to start praying that God will send in workers. And not listen, not everybody can go work with a middle schooler. I understand that. Or a high schooler, or a child. We have senior adults that need ministering too. We have, we have widows and, and, and uh, here that need to be ministered to. There's needs all over, just right here. And then when you look outside, it's huge. I hate to say that. That, that. that reminds me of that car guy. I did sell cars to get through Bible college. God forgave me. We need to be praying that God will send in workers. And then, you know, as we develop this compassion, as we, as we focus on the multitude and, and, and we ask God to give us labors for this harvest, we need to go to work and we need to send those who want to go work in the fields. Listen, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We refer to that as the Great Commission. Did you notice the, the first two words there? Our first word, two letters, go. It's not come, it's go. Somehow we have kind of switched things out where we think we've got to get everybody to come here. 
That's, that's not what the Great Commission says. And by the way, let me, let me qualify that. It's not a bad thing to get people to come to church with you so they can hear the gospel. But the most biblical thing, the best thing, is to go to them with the gospel. We're getting ready to come into March. March is Missions Month. We have two missionaries that we're going to be, you're going to be hearing from. You're going to be hearing a lot about missions. Um, those of you who don't know, in our church, we support missions through uh, faith promise giving. It's, a, it's an offering above our regular offerings that go directly to missions. And um, we're actually sending a missionary out. You heard Corey last week. He is leaving in May or early June for Taiwan. And we have several missionaries. There's a board back there in books that talk about our missionaries. We are sending people all over the world. But listen, we're sending people all over town. Let me tell you, the public school is a mission field. Uh, by the way, Walmart is a mission field. Your doctor's office is a mission field. It's all around. We are to go into all the world. And then Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. Verse 13 is my, one of my... Verse 13 is the verse God used to convict me for me to call on him and to receive Christ as my Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How are we going to develop passion? We need to go, and we need to send those who are willing to go. Listen, if you're here this morning, maybe you've run out of compassion. It's not hard to do that. It's really not hard because we live in a world that tends to aggravate us on all different levels. Each of us have different ways that we're aggravated and, and inconvenienced and, and, you know, just that, that person just ought to get straightened out. Will you look at that person? Don't, who taught them how to dress? Maybe we need to look at that person and I wonder if they've ever heard that Jesus loves them and died for them. I wonder if they know that the God of the universe came to this earth, lived as a man perfectly sinless to lay down his life to pay for our sin and then rose again, conquering death, to allow us to come to God and have a, a relationship with God and be restored into to communion with Him and to look forward to everlasting life. I wonder if they know that. I wonder if they know that the people in the churches around here, that they, we really do care. here this morning and your compassion has been kind of shocked. Take some steps to renew that compassion, to look on others. If you're here, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, listen, in just a second, we're going to have a, 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 a time, uh, we call it an altar call or invitation. Um, I know some churches don't do that anymore. We're still going to do that. We even do that in our contemporary service. 
because we believe that there's a time, yeah, you can get right, you can do everything where you are, but there's something about taking that step forward and, and laying it on an altar or, or making that commitment that seals it in your heart. And in a minute, you'll have an opportunity to come and, and, and receive Christ as your Savior or to lay your burden at the feet of Jesus Christ. Whatever your need may be, you're going to have that. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a, a, that time of, that time of uh, getting right, that time of laying things down. As we prepare for this, let me just let me say this too. In a minute, we're going to be uh, taking the Lord's Supper. The um, Bible is very clear about taking the Lord's Supper, and it says that, uh, that we need to do so in, in a right standing with God.